peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast, guys. You have on today, which is your host, myself, George Brionis. Chris is going to go ahead and say the head of human performance. He's going to go ahead and say the, the former director. Head of, the former title. The formal title. Um, but we do have a special guest on today, and we'll get to her in a minute. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our one and only registered dietitian. What up? Brooke West. Metabolic magician. Metabolic magician. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Chris Van Brink, who my co-host is, as always. Hello, buddy. And... Um, what did you want as the title? He's our physical, physical alteration specialist. specialist. Yep. But in the realms of Brooks, she <laughs> wants to call us thing one and thing, thing two. One, thing That's going to always be Chris and George in my heart. Thing one and thing two. And the one and only Kaylee, who is actually on the show, is friends with Brooke. Is this kind of what we've talked about pre-show? You guys never really met each other, only through Instagram, which is kind of how the that's, world works that's nowadays. That's how people meet these days. No one meets in real life who wants, to, who wants to be on Tinder and Bumble and all those other things and hot or not? And you decide, just go ahead and go on wow. Instagram. That's I, where I search for all my cool RD besties is Instagram. You, you, you <laughs> drop the hot or not dot com, man. That, like, that dates yourself right there. <laughs> happens when you're 30 years old. <laughs> All right. So, Kaylee, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Obviously, we know you guys met online or whatever. And yeah, take it away. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Kaylee. Brooke and I are social media besties now interacting for the first time. Um, but I'm in private practice. I specialize in women's health and digestive issues primarily. But at the end of the day, I really am just helping people personalize their nutrition so that they stop trying to fit into specific diet molds and get to the root of what actually works for them so people can live a life that they enjoy instead of being tied to these kinds of rules. Um, I also co-created an online women's health course called Her Hormones Academy. So got my hand in a few different things. I'm so excited about that. I'm a member of it and I'm learning Ooh. so much. Can I join? Oh, I love that. I, I'm well, it's, sure it's, it's for, with, her, it's it's for women, women, but only. So? maybe they'll expand and start a men's version. No, no. You never Why know. can't I learn about women? What? It just makes me that much better. <laughs> Here we go. Maybe we'll start at his hormone academy next. See? I like it. You guys might be onto something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, that I want to learn about everything. No, I... He's just thinking mind. of some inappropriate jokes this he made at my kitchen table one time. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> th we're going to keep that out for sure. I think, we, I think we're going to leave this at an NC-17 rated level because my comments would have gone beyond that. <laughs> so, so, so kind of jumping back on the train tracks because we like... So, you're going to realize we do like to jump off of and into tangents. So, Whenever that does happen, we'll try and bring us back and not go too far off of it. But we are talking about pretty much overtraining, undereating, and how it can throw off your, horm your hormones pretty much. It's something that you specialize yeah. in. And I think that we see this a lot within the realm of our community in the soft lead athlete realm. Yeah, because it's, well, I mean, it's the, it's, it's the old school common knowledge of do a whole lot, eat not a lot, and no, I'm just going to say it. Look like a snack on the holidays. <laughs> snack. All case. <laughs> Trying to squeeze that in there. <laughs> I really wanted to. I was really hoping I could do it. <laughs> right off the bat. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge misconception. I'm sure Brooke can relate. I feel like this is kind of what we were taught in school initially, like the eat less, move more mentality towards trying to look a certain way. And it really just gets people stuck. So I'm, I'm pumped that we're going to talk about this today and hopefully spread some awareness around this issue and how to get get out of that cycle so you mentioned it gets people stuck how how does it get people stuck yeah so i'm sure we'll get into the specifics of like the mechanisms of all these things and how hormones come into play but essentially when we're eating less and less and less and training more and more and more the signals that we send to our body actually end up making it harder for us to lose weight harder for us to build muscle it makes us hold on to stubborn body fat and then a whole bunch of other quality of life measures just go down the drain like your sleep your energy your sex drive your motivation um, everything. So you just get stuck having to continue to decrease more or increase your exercise more and not seeing the results that you want to see and feeling miserable. Yeah. I think that's the biggest th question I get is, oh, I've plateaued, but I'm the whole eating more or eating less and moving more. And I'm like, that's actually what's causing you to plateau. You need to move a little less, eat a little more, balance out the scales. And it's very counterintuitive and it freaks people out sometimes. So there is oh, a real man. thing called reverse dieting then. You've heard that probably, right? Like, is that a legit okay. thing that people would do? 
Yeah. Like people, I, I hear it all the time and people are like, oh, I just up my calories by 2000 calories for the past month when I was on a calorie deficit. And now I'm like le- leaning out and now I look this good. And then all of a sudden now they start gaining weight again. So is there, a, you know, the misconception behind all that, you know, I think something is, is harder to look at than to do. People are afraid to go ahead and up their calories by 2000. Well, that's definitely an extreme example, but <laughs> well, right. But I mean, but we talk and it, and then we've talked about it before, you know, on several podcasts. But when you look at, you know, one, everyone treats weight loss as like a giant secret, right? And we talked about, you know, calories in versus calories out. So, but at some point in time, you know, we talked about how literally your your body gets to a point where it's like, no, like you can't lose anymore. Like I am gonna start holding on to things because it's almost like I mean, biologically, you're designed to hold on to your body weight. Like fat's not a bad thing. Like we, you know, I, we talked about on the last one that, you know, human beings are kind of the, the version of human being that we are right now was born out of the ice age that had this ability to retain body fat. That was like, Hey, when the, when the little critters ran away to, you know, warmer weather, we didn't starve automatically because we had reserves of, you know, food that we could live off of for a little bit that got us, you know, to the next little hunting ground that we went to. But, but yeah, nowadays it's like every week, you know, we admonish body fat, which, which I think like, it it seems to be like, at least from a coaching standpoint, kind of this like never ending spiral of like, you know, you, you, you get caught in this loop of wanting to look a certain way and wanting to perform a certain way. And then eventually like you're, you're touching on issues that, really sometimes aren't even resolved through dieting and or working out. Like these are like self-esteem, self-image issues. And you try to solve them by means other than the means you should use to solve them. Like you try to eat more, eat less, you know, punish yourself in the gym. It's like, I was reading a book a while back and it's like, you know, we're trying to kill ourselves in order to live longer. Right. And that's, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's like in it's, total opposition to your body's goal, which is to survive. And right. your goal is trying to manipulate your body. And when those two goals don't match up, things break down hormonally, which is what we'll talk about today. But yeah, yeah. it's just, it's coming, coming from the wrong place. So can you start us off by explaining for the listeners kind of what is a hormone and which ones should we be paying attention to with um, specifically when we're talking about overtraining and undereating? Yeah, for sure. So in the most simplistic form, hormones are just chemicals in our body that are telling other cells and body systems what to do and when to do it. So it's through the action of hormones that we're able to build muscle tissue or not build muscle tissue. Um, It's through the action of hormones that we run an efficient, fast metabolism, or we've got a slow metabolism. Our hormones tell us what fuel substrate to use, whether that's going to be glucose or fat at a given moment. They regulate our fertility. They regulate our energy, our mood, our mental health. So essentially, they're just chemicals that are influencing the way things work in our body. And there are a ton of them. We won't get into all of them because this isn't designed to put people to sleep, but there are a lot of them and they all interact with each other. It's like this nice big web of communication, essentially, that starts up in the level of your brain and the hypothalamus and ends in the various tissues and organs in your body system. And that's how we control everything in our body is through the action of hormones. The limbic system is a hell of a system. <laughs> it, it's, it is. So... Going into that and talking about hormones, we do see this happen a lot. A lot of people will start undereating, and we, we keep hitting this on the head, and then start overtraining. What does that exactly start doing to our ho- hormones when we start increasing activity and decreasing calories? What do yeah, we start so, seeing there? So we have to backtrack a second to how these hormones are even regulated in the first place. And I mentioned the hypothalamus. So we've got the hypothalamus and the pituitary glands. They're located in our brain. And these are essentially just like higher order control. They're getting feedback from our body. They're getting feedback from the food that we eat or the food that we don't eat, the types of exercise that we do and our stress and sleep and all those other lifestyle factors. And based on that input, they're deciding to tell the other systems in our body what hormones to release. So in this particular instance, we'd be looking at the HPA axis. So it's hypothalamus, pituitary, communicating to your adrenal glands that sit on your kidneys. And these guys are responsible for making our stress hormone cortisol and a number of other hormones. But when we are overtraining, when we are 
not recovering more than we are training or we're under eating. So we're eating less than our maintenance needs to our body. These are stressful things. This is like, Oh shit, there's a famine or this person is in the middle of a battle. So we're going to be making a whole bunch of stress hormones via that HPA axis communicating to our adrenal glands. But the issue is that there are negative feedback loops built into all of this. So if we get a whole bunch of cortisol in our system all the time, and it's telling our hypothalamus, you know, there's a whole bunch of cortisol here, it's going to slow down the production of that whole system which then influences other axes like the HPT, which is communicating to your thyroid, the HPO, which is communicating to your ovaries, the other HPT, which is your testes. So now all of a sudden we downregulate our thyroid, our sex hormones, all kinds of other systems. All, so almost like there's a level of stress that's associated with eating. So my three H's that I utilize. Oh, oh here, here we, we go. go. So my three H's that I utilize actually has meaning, Chris and Brooke. We're just going to leave it at that. And people who follow Go the show ahead. know my yeah, three now, H's. Now, now you got now you so got to let it all out I've, there. I've, I've, I've taken a very holistic approach the past, what, two years, I guess you can say. And I've really approached it in the in the three H's. And I've added extra, added a fourth H into it. And the first three H's is happy, hungry, and horny. And those are the three uh, feed markers that I look at when I wake up in the morning. And then the next H that I add in there is actually heart rate. Right. So I can look at my heart rate where it's at and then looking at that, it go ahead and, and, and it all works again. It's all feedback loop, right? Like if I wake up, I'm not horny or I don't have a sex drive and something's going on in my digestive system. And then from there, my mood's going to be messed up. If all that's going on, my heart rate's not going to be my normal baseline. So that is a way of how I approach of making sure that I'm recovered enough to go ahead and do it. And if I'm getting enough sleep and all those other things. So I get made fun of a lot because I use these three H's as something and I use it a lot with athletes and they're like, it doesn't like, they get in, but these guys make fun of me all the time. But it's actually something that we makes make, sense. We make we I make we make fun so of you when you tell us about your upcoming internship at the Crystal Shop. <laughs> <laughs> so and yes, you're, and your obsession with Tibetan singing balls. So so <laughs> so Kayla, yes. Yeah, so utilizing what you just said, talking about you know everything as a whole and having a negative feedback loop we can go ahead and look at how that controls everything in our system as a whole. Well, it's all interconnected, right? Like she's saying, like, and it absolutely can have, it's like a cascade waterfall and you're just deciding which route it's going kind of. So it is very important. We just like to give you a hard time, George. Yeah, those, those three or four H's are great. And I think it's awesome to start talking about stuff like that because people get so hung up on like just diet and training as the two variables that they're focusing on. But, you know, every other aspect of your health is just a vital sign about how well your current regimen is suiting you. And if we're not checking in on those things, then, you know, we're missing missing a boat on that. Well, and that's, and that's one of the things that we've hit on on a number of different podcasts is the idea that you know, stress is cumulative. So we're not just looking at working out as working out. We're looking at working out as controlled acute physical stress that's designed to create some sort of adaptation. And and there is a stress response that we get from working out in the gym. There's a stress response that we get from eating a certain way. <clears throat> but the important thing to realize for the people who are listening is that, you know, the levels of stress and how your body reacts to it is cumulative throughout your day. I mean, if you had a long hard day at work and are stressed out from work and then you take that stress system into the gym to go add more stress to the system and then oh by the way go reward yourself afterwards because we live in like a rewards based fitness culture where we feel like we have to earn the right to eat cheat meals or cakes or whatever and now you you've literally taxed a system throughout an entire day when you, in your mind you're trying to go to relieve stress you know you eat to relieve stress or you work out to relieve stress and it's in fact the opposite so so yes no i yeah more is not always better when it comes to training at all and we know that obviously we preach that but i think it's interesting like i want to hear your perspective on exactly on a hormonal level what happens when we're chronically overstressing and overtraining when it's not necessary yeah so it's important to remember like chris was saying that there are so many sources of stress in our day so no two people are going to have that same like stress bucket in their body. And when that bucket overflows is when we start to have hormonal systems break down. And so if you, and you're comparing yourself to somebody else that might be doing a ton in the gym and you're like, man, they're able to keep this volume up and I can't seem to, um, but you keep trying to force it. It's, you have to take a look at the whole stress picture for you. So overtraining is going to be totally different from person to person, depending on other factors in their life and even their genetics, how quickly you can recover. 
But from a hormone standpoint, if we continue to train beyond our ability to recover, like we already mentioned, that stress hormone cortisol is going to be elevated chronically. And the original stress response we get from exercise that is good, that elicits change in our body, if elevated long-term, starts to break down that muscle mass that we've been working toward, starts to retain more body fat, especially around the midsection, we start to have alterations in our ability to balance blood sugar. So our insulin levels get thrown off, our sleep quality plummets. So now we're not getting that growth hormone and testosterone benefit that we usually get when we get great sleep. Um, and then of course our appetite. So our hunger and our fullness cues, which are com coming from hormones, get deregulated as well. That's huge. So one thing that we do push at our soft feet seminars is, is the cup method. I'm really big on the cup method and something that I learned many years ago, and I can't ever forget who I learned it from, but it, there's multiple research that talks about this, is being able to manage stress so that you don't overfill your cup exactly what you're talking about there, the stress cup. Um, and there's another saying I like to use, I like to go into races or events with having your cup as full as possible, meaning that you want to make sure that you're as 100% as possible so that you are now able to have a certain, you know, you have a cup to, to use without really being empty and seeing these problems happen. And again, looking at these two cups, you go ahead and want to have your cup full when we're looking at training and you want to make sure your cup of stress is super slow and empty so that we're able to manage everything properly and create this harmonic balance that is going to go ahead and give you the life that you're really trying to work for towards. And, and one thing that I do want to point out to the listeners is this, is when we're talking about training, it's not meaning you go into the gym for 45 minutes and just crushing yourself of your heart rate at 170 beats per minute for that 45 minutes. That now causes problems to your hormones not just physically, but psychology or, or, or psychologically also. So you have to understand that, you know, regulating your hormones, and this is something that I've, I've, from anecdotal experience and along with research-based evidence that I've been able to kind of cue together of helping people get out of the realm through fitness, not nutrition, through fitness by keeping heart rate low, keeping everything down regulated, to get them into a parasympathetic response and drive so that we now are able to have someone come to you or Brooke and now fix them on that end. That is something that's really yeah, huge. That. And I, that's awesome. to take that a little farther and, and to kind of like, so if you wanted to address the problem of overtraining, so we've identified that there is a problem. So now like if, and we, we've identified kind of what happens to your body when you overtrain. But if you, if we, if we went about addressing the problem of overtraining, how do you correct it? Right. And I think for, for a lot of people, at least from a coaching standpoint, the chronic overtrainers in the gym are the people who are motivated by something really other than themselves, right? So we've we talked about, you know, you go into the gym, you see how hard or how much someone else is doing and automatically assume that one, you're going to be able to perform at that level by doing exactly what that other person is doing, number one. Number two, for you know, really the first time in all of human history, we have used and starting to use fitness to recraft our bodies. So we're almost, so on a, on a, on a soul level, you are looking in the mirror every day and you are saying the person that I'm looking back at is not good enough. And therefore I have to go and change this person into something else. And so automatically we're starting to use fitness for something that it was really, I don't think ever designed for in the sense that, you know, when when you think about human survival on a, on a survival at level, you're talking about being able to run longer distances, being able to perform better that allowed you to survive easier. But now we're just talking about using fitness to craft yourself into something different than what you already are, which causes a whole new level of, you want to talk about the, the originator of all the stress and that cascade effect of hormones is, is you just looking in the mirror and just feeling you're not good enough. Yeah. Right. So you have to go and push yourself harder than you should. You have to use someone else's diet plan, not your own. You know, you have to use, you know, that was back in the day when we used to rip out workouts out of Muscle and Fitness magazine because we thought that if we did everything that was on that list, that we would look like the person who was pictured right next to that workout. You know, and, and when you use that as your motivator for fitness, you're almost kind of setting yourself up to plateau and to fail because your body's only going to let you go so far as your genetics allow you to go. You know, and it's almost like you want, like as a coach, you know, you want to level people's expectations right off the bat. Perfect example is I've got a guy right now 
who he is he is training to go into the military right he he has this goal of joining the military he's a little on the older side so he's in his mid to late 20s i believe like 27 28 but and he, and he wants to go army special forces he wants to be a green beret right he is training right now as if he's going to be a green beret he hasn't even made it to basic training yet he, has, he hasn't even left for meps yet and he's already trying to shape himself into something else i'm like dude just go to basic training first like stop stop doing five workouts a day and then staying like i literally keeping the gym open for this guy so he can just continue to row his ass off every single night i'm just like what like what are you doing like like i why oh i think it does more harm than good and right and if you listen to like when kaylee's saying these things sure there's there's absolutely some awesome integrative and functional nutrition testing but when it comes down to it if you just listen to your body about how are you sleeping how is your sex drive how are these things you're gonna just have your body tell you if you're overtraining well one thing too that i want to hit on to you i don't think we have covered it yet and so we continue going on but what is overtraining right and the way i look at overtraining is it's just a chronic imbalance between your body trying to handle stress and recover at the same time is pretty much what is happening, right? And instead of it actually becoming a negative feedback for us as well, it's also becoming a pr- protective mechanism that is helping you know understand how to manage stress and recovery at the same time, right? That's end up what's happening. Overtraining means that your 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 training cup is empty and your stress cup is full, and your body is trying to figure out, well, how the hell am I supposed to manage this? All of a sudden, a protective mechanism comes in to stop everything, to so that you're no longer trying to, to manage this. And, and again, it all comes down to energy, right? We're all learning how to manage energy properly through whatever we do. Yep. Absolutely. And food being, you know, our source of energy that we exactly. give ourselves. So if we are manipulating that with that same place where we're looking in the mirror and we're like, this body isn't good enough. I need to train more, train more, train more. That usually comes with eat less, eat less, eat less. At least that's what I see. And I know we talked before this about what you guys see as well. And man, is that a perfect storm to get people in a place that they don't want to be. Yeah, that's huge. And and one thing too that, that a lot of people don't realize is when we start talking about hormones, right? We start talking about the automatic nervous system, which is in control of the sympathetic drive and the parasympathetic drive. And if our body now goes into a protective mechanism, what end up what ends up shooting up through the roof? Understanding that, it, and for the listeners, sympathetic means fight or flight, parasympathetic means rest and recovery, digestion. Well, if it's a protective mechanism happening, what ends up happening? We start increasing sympathetic drive into our system, which now starts activating a whole bunch of other problems that we see where, Kaylee, you you realistically understand this. And again, when we have sympathetic drive in our system, our digestive system is shut off completely, which causes a huge problem under eating. For, for those of you guys who are listening, what George just said was... We've we've George man- translations we've, brought to you by Chris Van Brink. We've managed to recreate the saber tooth tiger in reality when there isn't one. Pretty much, AKA yes. we're always stressed. Sorry out. for being a nerd. No, I I pre- I just like I said, I just want to make sure everyone gets on that level. So moving on, so we've talked a little bit about overtraining already, and we've all we've looked at that, and we understand what it's happening. So now with this protective mechanism of overtraining, we get into undereating. That is huge. Yeah. So let's get into a little bit about undereating and what we see with that. Yeah. So undereating is just when your intake is less than your maintenance needs. And so your maintenance needs need to cover for your basal metabolic rate or the energy that your body needs to just keep your organ systems going in addition to any activity that you're participating in or any training. And so when we do this chronically, again, our body is always going to come from a place of trying to survive until tomorrow. So I like to use this Susan analogy when I explain this to my, my clients. So let's say Susan comes in and Susan's been dieting a long time. She either saw results initially and now has plateaued, or maybe she just keeps dieting and listening to like the 1200 calorie a day spiels in magazines and is feeling worse and looking worse and really frustrated about it. And so Susan's body sees there's not much food coming in. So our higher order centers in our brain, our hypothalamus and our pituitary gland are like, yo, she's in a famine. We need to save her. 
So it starts telling your thyroid, scale it back. Don't be burning through this energy so quickly. We need to conserve. It's telling our body fat stores to hang on to whatever you do get. So if Susan messes up her diet one day and overdoes it on her 1200 calorie diet, now our body is grabbing and holding on to that food because it's like we got to batten down the hatches for this next famine that could start next week. It's telling our energy levels to be lower. It's like, do less, Susan, because we got to conserve this energy. And now all of a sudden, we're not sleeping well. For women like Susan, that affects our fertility. It's going to tell our ovaries, like, now is not the time to be having a baby because you can't even support yourself. So we shut down our sex hormone production as well. Um, So that's really like a simplistic view of what's happening. And it's always your body trying to save you. And for us and for Susan, that might be frustrating. Like, oh God, I just have a slow metabolism or my body's the worst. I don't respond to these things. But if you can think of it from the perspective of your body, it's just looking out for you in the only way that it knows how. Right. See, that's exactly that. You know, we, our bodies are built to survive. Now you can also make Probably, you know, if we, we took this even outside the performance realm, you could probably make a decent argument that your brain is convinced that if you look a certain way, then you're better able to survive. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably more from a cultural standpoint, which which I think is a lot of the drivers well, behind some of this behavior. It's a learning type, bro. It's just a type of learning that we do. It's just modeling. We want to model what someone else is doing because we think that that's what's going to happen. Right. I mean, because ultimately, you know, what I guess when I look at it, and I would be curious... And and I know I know you you used Susan as an example, but do you see? I feel like men are just as susceptible to this. So there could be a a Steve oh, yeah. example as well as a, as, <laughs> as, well, as well as as well as a Susan. We're gonna go with a Chris example. Well, I mean, but I, I, I feel like Steve's example would be like, man, I'm trying to crush something. I'm. I don't know. Like I'm trying to look you like can a literally put way. Steve in the same position that we're talking right yeah. now. Yeah, about it's the Susan. same thing. They're just same thing. It's in the same. Well, it depends, I guess, on people's motivation. But I think absolutely. I think that you just see maybe women talk about it more, or they're more willing to seek help where men might be more stubborn. So there's not as many. Steve, <laughs> Steve is at Planet Fitness, and he's really about. unhappy, and he hasn't talked to Susan and other people to realize that you don't have. <laughs> To under eat. You know why? Is because at Planet Fitness, everyone just puts on their Beats by Dre and they block out the whole world. They don't talk to anybody because they're just trying to do them bicep curls in the squat rack. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, so bringing this back on track. um, So, when we look at a decrease in calories, what, how long does that usually take to start messing up hormones? Because some of the internships that I've been through with looking at different types of macros with fats, carbohydrates, and protein. One of the biggest ones that I saw was a lot of people, especially people who are pro bodybuilders and uh, bikini models that do that stuff, they'll go on like two, like a week of like 20 grams of fat. You know what I'm saying? Like doing those kinds of things. And one thing that I've learned is that when you go and put your system in that kind of stress, you start shutting your hormones down right away within a, within two to three weeks, depending on an individual due to, again, we keep talking about it, it, it all individual dictates due to genetics and everything else. But what are some of those things that we do see when we start talking about calorie intakes, when it comes down to breaking it down to the macronutrients of the fat, carbohydrates, and proteins? Yeah, I agree with you. It, it is within a couple of weeks. Typically, there'll be some variation depending on what their stores look like, their nutrient stores and how well they've taken care of themselves up until that point. And of course, the rest of the stress in their life. But, you know, when you start restricting your fat that low, I mean, fat is how we make hormones. So now we are undercutting the system from the grassroots and then carbs. Um, I know that that's like the key villain number one of 2018 is, is carbohydrates. It but, is. <laughs> so know, sad. We, As I just ate so a bag sad. of flaming Hot Cheetos. <laughs> Don't advertise that. Don't advertise that. Garage Ferrari over there. Oh my gosh. But yeah, we need carbs send a really powerful signal, particularly to the thyroid to do its job. Um, And there are a lot of studies that look at refeeding. So that's where you would eat above and beyond your maintenance needs and see how that elicits a hormone response. And it's only when you refeed with carbs that you see a rebound in your thyroid function and your sex hormones. So when they compared it to refeeding with fat, you didn't see that same effect. So when you see people, men and women, that maybe they've been long-term keto or they're trying to force themselves to stay in that mindset because it became a religion somehow in the last few years. I was going to say, I hope 
all the keto all the keto followers listening Please, yeah, sorry, please I'm rewind and pay attention to what she said. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, is again, she said like it, it, it's, it doesn't need to be religion. You can utilize these types of things to go ahead and help yeah. help you in a certain realm. But, but it shouldn't be a long it term. Be a it's long-term. not a long term sustainable thing, and that's why I believe it well, shouldn't be a diet. And this is another big thing too. Remember, uh, this is, I'm going to bring you into this conversation. That me and Brooke had an email with a guy who who was exposed to some chemicals, um, and he started having really bad like nerve and SI pain in the back of him, getting sharp pains down his legs. And I've been working with him recently, and we cut out alcohol, we cut out you know high glycemic carbohydrates. We started putting him on an anti-inflammatory diet, which yeah, we he's did. on an anti-inflammatory well, diet. Yeah. Well, I've been came in contact with him and. Two weeks ago, he was like, man, it's just been really crazy with the fires out there. You know about the fires out there. So sorry. If you are listening to this and you're part of those fires, we're sorry, guys, about that. Like, like, yeah, it's just nothing we can. It just happens. But he was out fighting him and taking care of him. So his diet and everything kind of went to crap. Life happened. Started having him a lot more again. Again. And I started asking, well, like, what are you eating and, and what are you drinking? And it started coming out. It was, oh, I had a glass of wine here and there. Um, I'm doing this kind of eating. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, hey, what kind of chemical was it? Found out what kind of chemical was. And I also went into the realm of like, this is my scientific side of things. I was like, well, what kind of chemicals bond together that create this negative feedback loop? And it came down to that uh, there's a chemical in, in wine that actually meshes with the chemical he had that causes problems. So coming to find out, we're like, well, let's go ahead and cut back all high glycemic carbohydrates and let's go ahead and just focus on working in, in the realm of kind of keeping the carbohydrate intake on the lower end to see how it works again and not cutting it out from him, but really focusing on taking out that higher glycemic carbohydrate. And the reason why I brought this into the story, into the podcast is the fact that everyone lives in a high, a high, like a high, a high glycemic carbohydrate diet. Most of the time you think about it, well, the typical, like stereotypical American diet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like we ended up creating this problem, not just with hormones and everything else like that. We start seeing this actually come out in real life and having problems and, and causing you not to live your life you want, you know? So that's kind of another big thing too. We talk about, you know, we talk about cutting fat, cutting carbohydrates, cutting protein. We haven't even gotten into cut, talking about cutting protein out. I mean, we can do a whole podcast on that and kind of want to get your thoughts on that as well as, you know, when we continue on with these carbohydrates, what does cutting protein do to us when we're actually, you know, when people start under eating? Yeah. So there's a range in protein needs, depending on what your training load looks like and obviously what your goals are. But if we're not getting enough protein, the where the place that that hits us the hardest first is that we make our neurotransmitters. So like our feel good brain chemicals out of amino acids. So if we're not getting enough protein, you know, mood tanks, our ability to feel satisfied from food and life in general tanks as well. And so we don't have that sense of control over what we're doing anyways. Um, and then we could get into, you know, the loss of lean muscle mass if we're not providing that substrate, um, all kinds of areas where that would hit us. I just think that as a culture, everyone is obsessed with these weird niche fad diets where there's some type of severe restriction, whether it's a macronutrient group or it's a specific food group. And I just think that it it doesn't. I don't know. I wish people understood that that actually does more harm than good. And if you just paid attention to your food quality and focused on balance, your body would be a lot happier. I don't know. I had a theory about that. I was in, in talking to people who like, I, I think we might have mentioned it on a previous podcast, but when we look at this concept of restriction, and this is like, this even kind of goes and touches onto the cultural aspect of, I think what drives a lot of this type of behavior is that restriction is seen as a form of discipline, right? So someone who restricts themselves, if I I cut out all the things, I mean, let's be honest, right? Carbs make you happy, right? Like <laughs> carbs make you happy. That wine, booze, cakes, flaming hot Cheetos make me <laughs> happy. So if I restrict them, if I say no, now I'm disciplined and discipline's a good thing, right? And and when I and when I you know when we look at food and the purpose that food serves, and because it's it you know arguably now we're we're really not in a survival situation anymore when it comes to food. We we now create these flavors and experiences with food that are by and large way outside the norm of normal, you know. So now food is like a pleasure. I was about to get into right. That. So so food is if food too. is a pleasure, well man, like I need to be disciplined. I need to restrict 
pleasure. And I restri- and, and ultimately what I'm doing is I'm restricting my macronutrients. If you just break down food into, you know, fats, protein, and carbs, you know, by limiting my, you know, happiness, by living this life of discipline and rigor and punishing, in quotes, myself in the gym, right, I am now achieving this stoic-like, you know, sense of being that allows me to be better because, you know, we, we always look at people who maybe are more disciplined as better than other people, right? I restrict my carbohydrates. I restrict my fats or whatever. Well, so. and that but comes, I think that language sets you up for failure. It does. No, restrict, it abso- restrict, restrict. It absolutely does. Can't have this, and so then you binge. Right. And if you've been doing this, it's not like all of a sudden your hormones are going to bounce back to being normal. It's going to swing the pendulum in a total opposite way, and then you're just continuing right. on this path of doing more harm than Which, good. Yeah, and in the in the irony of all that is that you know when because I I mean I think and this is. In my my perspective, maybe you know, for, definitely from a training standpoint, but I, you can probably make the argument from a dietary standpoint, is that the human species is now really trying to still seek a balance with the nutritional world around them, right? So, so now, you know, because we've broken out of this realm of survival and now are in this realm of oh, I can look like this, or I can lose ten pounds, or I can gain fifty pounds, or I can I have this. We, you know, human beings are discovering the wide range of performance that we were kind of endowed with, and they've they use nutrition as a means to kind of get at that. Like we're still, but but from an evolutionary standpoint, like you talked about, Kaylee earlier in the podcast, was you know our body tries to, our body tries to prevent that next famine from coming around, right? That like that's a that is a baseline survival instinct, you know? So it's like, we're it's still we're, there. It's still right. It's still there. And, and, not and there. that's the thing is like, you know, so when we talk about, you know, solving this problem, you know, it, it doesn't come from swinging to one end of the pendulum to another. It comes from balance, right? It comes from a balanced diet. It comes from a balanced training regimen that goes along with your balanced diet. I think, I think the key word here is going to be understanding like we need to go ahead and educate the human being on how to understand how to manage these these stressors right when we talk about because everything is a stressor and how to be self-aware of it how to I be think. self-aware of it right that's all we're doing is we're just increasing our self-awareness so that we have a certain drive that wants to cope with our needs to have this kind of behavior that's what it comes down to right at the end of the day chris talks about a pleasure well there's a there's a behavior behind that to get that pleasure no doubt, right? And now it comes down to, well, what's driving that behavior? There's some kind of need that drives that behavior, right? So it's like creating a drive to go ahead and help increase that need or get rid of that need so that behavior leads us into a pleasurable act. And I think at the end of the day, when we talk about wanting to eat cake, flaming hot Cheetos, everything else, <laughs> it, it's just a pleasure. It's just a, it's a feeling that drives an emotion to make us feel Was pleasure. It, I, uh, I live my life by a very simple motto. It used to be, I live my life a quarter of a mile at a time back when I used to watch Fast and the Furious. <laughs> now, now I live, <laughs> now I say, now I say, you know, never tame your demons, only keep them on a right. leash. <laughs> so we've talked about overtraining, right? We haven't got too deep into overtraining because we've talked about overtraining all the time on this podcast. And, and again, overtraining just means you're just driving yourself into the ground super, when you're coming to the gym and, and thinking about burning it down 24 seven, the words that Chris likes to use. And, we're getting into now talking about the under eating aspect. Now let's go ahead and dive deep into what you specialize in do, in doing when yeah, they how do you, both how, when they both how you, happen. How do you fix this in your line of work? Like especially when they both yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. So the, I mean there's definitely that big psychological piece that we've hinted at when we were all talking about where the drive for these certain behaviors is coming from. So big like mental, emotional, spiritual piece that has to be worked on for sure. But in the context of this podcast, it starts with awareness. So education of of how your body works, what hormones even are, how what we do and what we eat influences them and how when our hormones are optimized, we have a fast metabolism. We're able to maintain a healthy body weight with ease. We feel good. We have a sex drive. We enjoy our life in general. And so coming from a place of our goal is to optimize our hormonal environment and weight loss is now a side effect of that versus weight loss being the primary goal. Because when we focus so much on something like weight loss, now all everything is compared to it did that scale move, did that body fat percentage move versus focusing on something else entirely. I think that's actually brilliant. Like make make weight loss the side effect and not the goal. 
That's it's, yeah. That it's should a be a secondary goal. Secondary that should goal. be on a shirt. We'll that's, shirt. That's 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 great. <laughs> that's really good, actually. I like that. Thanks. So yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's easier said than done too, especially for the long term, like dieters and over exercisers. But the next step from there is is awareness about how how much do they actually eat in a day. We're so used to suppressing our body's signs and symptoms that a lot of times we're so out of touch. Like, have I been under eating? A lot of times it's unintentional. So that's where, you know, tracking their intake for a week or two, tracking their training volume for a week or two, and then looking at what that looks like on paper and then going to one of those calculators or um, even some of those like quick multipliers with your body weight and your activity factor to see like, what's an idea of what you would actually need to sustain that level of activity? Because anytime we're falling below that, we can't expect to be building lean muscle mass or to see a loss in body fat until we're at least meeting our body's needs, if not um, overshooting it a little bit. So the problem I see with, with this, and I'm going to come from someone doesn't understand calorie intake and doesn't understand that. How does someone know how much calories to eat in the day to fuel their activity of their life? That is something that I feel like a lot of people are still trying to have a grasp on. Well, there's so many different calculations there. I mean, but I feel like there's also loose guidelines and that's why I really recommend people get body comp testing if they can, if they can find somewhere to do a DEXA, especially because actually when it comes down to it, it depends on the amount of lean mass and stuff you have on your body. Like if we're going to talk like gold standard, but you would know how much lean mass is on you and how much fuel you need to fuel that mass. So, so everyone should be getting a body composition type, type test to find out like what they should be putting in at, the, at a resting state and then what they should be putting in when they increase activity throughout the day. It'd I really think so. I know that it's not accessible. Yeah, it's not accessible to So those everyone. who can't and those who are just like, and, and, and again, when we use the word can't, means they're just not willing to because uh, anybody can. You can probably, I think that like you definitely have to make an effort to prioritize your life. Like you, you prioritize going out to a bar every Friday. You could prioritize not Getting doing a that scan. a weekend and yeah. doing something well. like that. <laughs> but, but, but that's like, you know, that's a fair question because, you know, and, and I know this is, this will be on another podcast episode, but to give everyone a little hint, <laughs> we are coming into the season of notorious fitness and nutrition goals, right? The year is closing out. The holidays are coming up or we're in them right now. And people are going to guarantee you 120% of the time they're going to bite off more than they can chew. Right. So like they're going to they're going to pick the loftiest goal. They're going to pick the most extreme diet and they're going to have at it and they're going to go till about March and they're going to be like, fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> well, everyone always comes to me when they first sign up for the nutrition program. They're like, so I set my goal to super cut. I just started. I'm like, no, 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 no. Backtrack. Your goal in the app should be maintenance because you need to sit there and hang out and like see what your body actually needs like fuel wise and see how that feels and what happens. And actually a lot of the times that's where all they need to be is because they've actually been chronically under eating. And so if they sat at their maintenance level and just ate at that level, then usually it's, it's amazing. The body fat so melts, most, okay, so the muscles most people, come. Most okay. people chronically under eat then. So then. yeah, coming from your experience with how much you're running, cause again, like I said, you you work with human beings on all types of levels, not just your fitness athlete. You work, I mean, you pretty much work with mom and pops who just work all day. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So coming from that, what do we see in the majority? Is it under eating or overeating? So I I guess I do see a mix of both, but more often than not, just based on the types of clients that I, I tend to gravitate toward, they're usually under eating. And like Brooke said, having them hang out in maintenance is so awesome because a lot of times they realize that that's where they need to be, but that's how you get like real time data on your body is hanging out at that intake level, keeping that consistent and then seeing what the heck even happens. Like, how do you feel? What changes did you see? Are you sleeping better? How's your training? And that's how you really know where to titrate up or down from is how you do at maintenance, because all of this is really just an estimation. It's going to depend on a lot of factors for the person, but what I find more often than not is that people have a hard time with like the patience aspect of this. Yes. Where you're mm-hmm. telling them to hang out at an intake for like, I don't know, three weeks or so to see how they do and telling somebody to spend the next six to 12 months getting their metabolism in a place where they've now earned the right to diet again is not like wow. a sexy 
No, timeline. people but want that work. Amazon I've, Prime diet. I've never thought yeah. about that either. <laughs> well, but that's but that's interesting though. So now, so you do that from a dietary standpoint. You know, you tell people to hang out and just maintain. I wonder, like, do you guys make any recommendations from the training aspect of it? Because I mean, that that seems like whatever activity level that person set at. Like, I mean, I feel like I've also been like maintaining myself for years, but then again, like my activity fluctuates like within weeks at a time. But it's like, do you? Do you tell them to maintain a specific activity level, like just exist in the world, like, or, you know, they go to an exercise class or they go to, you know, do Zumba for an hour or whatever. Like, how do you, how do you pair their activity level, like during this maintenance period? Yeah. So I I try to get them to like an enjoy life activity level. So we need to move every single day. They need to be moving in a way that's enjoyable for them. And ideally, if we're trying to get their metabolism in a good place, they're doing some resistance training too. um, Because these people that have been chronically under eating don't typically have a robust lean muscle mass. Um, But most of my practice is done virtually like this, but I do have an office in a, within a CrossFit gym locally. So I do have clients from the CrossFit environment and they're usually going like six days a week doing these CrossFit Metcons and trying to be keto at the same time. And like all this compounding stress. So with that, sounds like my worst nightmare in one human being. (laughs) That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's true though. That's just where we're at right now. 2018. That's just where we're at. We got away from the, the simplicity of eating of, you know, what and I hate I using we got, we got away from the simplicity of living, right? Well, we, I mean, yeah. we, we burn like, cause that's the thing, like overtraining. I feel like we're talking, we're, we're talking about overtraining from two angles. One is from the eating aspect. The other one's for the training aspect. And we have the loftiest goals and, and it's always funny. Cause you know, I always had this working theory that it always came down to aesthetics. I don't care how, doesn't matter how much people, they really love performance and they can really love it for a lot. But when you start under eating, the only thing like that, like that resonates with me. That it's just like you, you want that six pack. Like you might want to run that marathon, but you want that six pack. So you're just going to. Okay. So a six pack looks good. How does it feel? I oh, I, you know what? Like I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm genetically not prone to have a six pack. I'm, I'm okay with that. I hey, don't man. want a six pack. I've I'm never saying, had one. Every, everyone wants to look I'm like just that, saying, man. I just think that like there needs to come a point where, and maybe this comes with a little age and maturity. You have to decide is my longevity and like my health more important or is oh, looking yeah. like insert fitness model here 100%, more important? But I bet you if you took an honest poll of people at gyms now, call it what you want, everyone wants to look good naked at the end of the day. But like Kaylee and I have said too, if you focus on making yourself right in all these other ways and healthy, the secondary is it's going to come. You're gonna look good. You're gonna your, your body is gonna look good for what it's supposed to be. There's no such be. thing as free lunch, gentlemen. There's <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as free lunch. And there's an article co- out called that by Mark Twite. If you haven't read it, you gotta you check know, it out. Listen, <laughs> you can also just turn the lights off too. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. And we went. What are there. we even doing here then? <laughs> it's, it's that easy. <laughs> so. <laughs> So going going back onto the railroad tracks, that's a, that's the we enjoy you, Chris. I love you, buddy. Um, signs and symptoms that we are doing too much, right? That's something that a lot of people are probably wondering. Like, what are the signs and symptoms behind of, of knowing that our hormones are completely off and just going haywire? Because I can sit here and tell you what the signs and symptoms are for overtraining, and like we can talk about that all day, right? Yeah. I, why why am I sore for two weeks? But let's go ahead and talk about because what if I do come in the room as a coach and when I go ahead and be like, oh, you're overtrained. Let's go ahead and cut you back a little bit on your on your training. Let's go ahead and lower your your percentages on your work. Let's go ahead and cut a little bit back of the resistance training. Let's go ahead and put you into an aerobic state type zone one zone two approach to go ahead and help facilitate this to reset the central nervous system. I do this for four to six to eight weeks to 12 weeks sometimes to do this, like you talked about, this reset of your metabolism, but this is the reset of the system. I don't get it. Now, what are those signs and symptoms that you look at when we come into talking about hormones from the eating side of things? Yeah. There'll be some overlap with the overtraining signs and symptoms too, but it's usually people that aren't able to sleep. They're, they either can't fall asleep or they wake up like at 3 a.m. and for no reason and can't fall back asleep. Um, they've lost like their typical drive to train or to move. You know, their energy level just plummeted and now they're a couch potato when they used to be active. Um, brain fog is another big one. There just simply isn't enough fuel going around to keep 
brain activity up. Um, it could be changes in their weight. It's typically like fluid retention or retaining body fat when they didn't expect to be doing that. Um, for females, it's a loss of their cycle or irregularities to their cycle is another big red flag. And then of course, sex drive for both genders takes a huge plummet when you're not eating well enough. Um, so those would be the big ones that I normally see. So your, so your H's still hold true, yeah, George. The H's. I, so I've been, I've, I've, I've been pure anecdotal experience for a long time and currently going to school for sports psychology right now to get my bachelor's in science of it. And a lot of stuff is starting to kind of just start backing me with my research of like what I've learned from what I've read, but not knowing how to pair it together. And I'm finally doing it. So thank you. For, <laughs> <laughs> you made um, a stake, Haley. You've, you've made <laughs> It's kind of cool. It's, it's been happening slowly throughout the past couple of months. But going into that and talking about it, when we go ahead and talk about breaking the cycle now, like, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the overtraining aspect of it, but how do we break the cycle through what you do? Because that's another, that's the reason why we have you on here is so you can go ahead and, and, and talk about this is how do you break this cycle and what are your approaches to it? And how long does it really take, right? Like we talk about patience, but how long does it really, really yeah. take? Yeah. So like we talked about that whole mental, emotional, spiritual piece that we won't get into here has to be addressed because the motivation behind these changes, um, that that's going to dictate how successful somebody is in this process. But depending on how long they've been under eating, I look at, you know, a good six to 12 months of working them gradually up to a maintenance level and then maybe beyond so that we can start to see some of those markers of their hormones normalize because they have no business trying to diet or trying to cut body fat again, or even trying to ramp up their training until we are at a responsible calorie intake and like an adult level of intake, not these really, really tiny low intake levels that are appropriate for, for children. So a good six to 12 months of working on that. And like we mentioned before too, that's not, that's not super appealing for somebody that wants to lose weight like yesterday. Um, so for me professionally, that's like screening the right candidates and working with people that are going to see this process through and are committed to putting effort in for the long haul so that they have a life that they really enjoy, that they can eat foods that they like to do. They can train how they want to train and not be so caught up in this vicious cycle long-term, but it takes a good six to 12 month investment in my experience. So what are your approaches? So we've talked about that. I know pre-show we talked a little about like training doses and stress management and sleep. Do you really dive deep into like, all right, Hey, what are your coping mechanisms for stress? What is your sleep routine prior to going to bed and waking up? What is your training like? And then what is your supportive system like at home to be able to handle all these things or these things that you actually dive deep into to make sure that they're fully on board so that you have this complete buy-in? Yes, for sure. And that's what, I mean, I love to do this. I love to look at somebody's whole life, like a big web of all these interconnected things and help them figure out what areas we can focus on. And Brooke, I'm sure you feel like this too. Food is it's very rarely about the food. Like food is nope. a small piece of it's, this picture. It's and crazy. it's helping people see how those things connect together. Yeah. That's really rewarding. And I don't think people realize how much it is all interconnected. And we tend to think of physical health of like, oh, it's all about food and exercise. And and it's really not though, because so many other things from your vocational health, emotional health, mental health, so many other things are going on. Like your financial health that are going to affect your stress levels and, and the situation and the choices you make when it comes to food and exercise. So it's a really complicated thing. So to do it right, you know, you do need to take the time and be committed. And we just unfortunately are in this, like, give it to me now. So, world. When, we, so when we do have an athlete or a client that comes to you that has all those things and they are completely bought in, what, what is it that you do right away with nutrition wise? What is kind of the foods you look to kind of take in and out? What are you doing there? You know, you making them manage like a certain amount of food or you, you know, those kinds of things. It's kind of like I'm interested in because at the same time, though, I, I would, you know, what works for a woman's probably going to work for a man, a male in some realm, some shape or form, like in that aspect of being like, oh, well, sex drive is currently gone. Well, maybe if I try doing this it can work or, Hey, I'm not sleeping. Well, what am I drinking before bed? Or what am I eating prior to bed? Or how much booze am I consuming? Or how much weed am I smoking before I go to go to sleep? Like all those things come into account. So do you literally lay out like, Hey, this is what you're going to eat. You know, what are some of those, can you, can you elaborate on that for us? 
Yeah. So the, the overall like lens that I view nutrition through is an anti-inflammatory approach, because if we're eating a bunch of things that are causing inflammation, now that's another thing adding to that stress bucket that we could control for. So the first is education of what foods do and don't cause inflammation in the body. And that'll be a little different from person to person and depending on their habits, but getting some good real food into their system, lots of veggies, good proteins, healthy fats, you know, fibrous carbs, all that good stuff. And then trying to omit some of the things that are hindering them. So the refined processed carbohydrates, any excess alcohol or any like high chemical laden products. And then once we know either through body comp testing or having them track their intake for a while or plugging their info into a calculator. Once we know about what our goal, like our target goal calorie wise is, I'm going to slowly week after week be ramping up their intake. Um, I typically go and add to the carbohydrate category first, if they've been under eating and have some like hormone decompensation that's been going on. Um, And then the fat category too. So a little bit, like maybe 10 grams in carbohydrates in a week, like five, five-ish grams of fat. So I move slow, which helps with the psychological aspect of this because there is a lot of fear. I was about to say, yeah, that's food. huge. You're so taking, really you're taking small steps, like very minimal steps. But in the end, Tiny I think steps. that's that's how you would you to totally set it. someone up for success because a big change might freak them out mentally depending on where and why it even happened. And then it's also going to like ease the body back in. I call it periodization of nutrition. Yeah, it's pretty much what exactly. it is. Yeah. We should have seasonality to our food. I mean, you wouldn't go squat the exact same weight every single day forever and expect to get better. Why are we eating the same every single day? That's so true. Well, I that's love a really, it. But that's, that's a really great point because I mean, I think, I mean, historically speaking, I remember looking at a lot of meal preppers pictures and it's like, all your all your little plates look the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, yeah, and there Silly. needs to be like variability, Silly. even when you are eating a healthy diet. Like you need to have definitely a variability, or you're gonna lack in those micronutrients and stuff. So that's huge. You know, when we look at like the training aspect, you know, when we look at periodization, exercise variation, frequency, load, and volume is huge. When we go ahead and look at progressing an athlete forward, even when we see an athlete start regressing, we still got to now look at all of those factors. It goes into the same thing with nutrition. We start talking about food variancy. We start talking about food frequency. We talk about volume of food. We start talking about how much, how many times are you eating a day? You know, all those things come into play when we talk about it. And realistically, again, it's just a very small approach to what you're doing there. Um, at the end of the day, which is, I think is huge. And and a lot of people are looking again for that quick fix. A lot of people are looking to go ahead and get their free lunch. Um, people don't understand that this is takes a long term, right? And again, like you said, like we're looking to make this a lifestyle so that we continue living longer. Like our goal is to live longer, right? That's the goal. But we're, like Chris said it too, is we end up trying to kill ourselves by trying to live longer because we do all these crazy (laughs) things that just put us in a bad place. Right. So, I think that's why people um, shy away from dietitians when it comes to nutrition is because we don't have, we're not going to have like a fancy ad and like a detox tea that's going to cure all your problems, (laughs) even though that's way more appealing. We're like, no, this is going to take time and patience and commitment. And everyone's like, fuck this. And I'm like, no, but really, if you really want to get better and have an awesome life, you should be committed to it, right? So there are no quick fixes, guys. They want to be committed Sorry. to the idea of their perfect life. If you guys thought this podcast was going to be the the quick fix for you, guess what? It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, but you know what's funny is I, I you know, even as we kind of come up to our you know concluding remarks here, like I think a lot of people know that, but it's really hard to break them of that mindset, right? I think like, you know, I don't think anyone looks at an, an Olympic athlete and is like, I want that tomorrow. Like they know what it's, I think it's like people generally lack the ability to one chiefly manage their own expectations, you know, and, and we could probably do 15 podcasts on managing your own expectations, but it's like, let's be real here. Like if I wanted to weigh, you know, 105 pounds, like that's probably not going to be the best for me, right? I'm not going to be an Olympic gymnast either. So why waste time pursuing that as a goal? right? I'm, I'm six foot, 200 pounds. Like I'm not going to be an Olympic gymnast, you know? And I think when you, I think part of the responsibility of coaches and, you know, nutritionists probably who, who kind of outline that path to goals 
is letting clients know what's reasonable to expect and what's not. Like, you know, and, and, and you have to sometimes look at someone despite the fact that they might really, really, really want to do this thing and be like, listen, like, that's just not in your cards. You know, like, I, I want, I'll never forget a soldier I once had who he was five foot, he was about five, six, maybe 160, 170 pounds. And I straight up asked, I was like, man, I was like, what are your fitness goals? Like, what do you want out of these work? He said, well, I want to be 6'3", 270. <laughs> and he said it with a straight face. It's like, bro, you know what's going like, to happen to you? And I'm like, I'm like I, something along those lines. Along I, need the, the, I need the height diet. Where's along the saying, like, you're kind of an idiot. But like, but but literally, like, people don't know how to manage their own expectations. Like, you know, you can't, you cannot transform yourself into another person, right? You know, if I had a dollar for every time a woman sometimes men, but albeit it's mostly women who, wow. Good who job, have, Chris, who have showed me <laughs> pictures of another woman that they're trying to be like, I'm like, like, stop. Like, like it is not within your genetic capability to look like anyone else other than yourself. You can make Help changes. You. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing is we, you know, we, it comes down to loving who you are. Yeah. Explore the realms left and right of your own capabilities, but ultimately you have what you have. That's it. Monk so take BB. care of it. So, so take respect care of it. it. Yeah. Take care of it. Listen to it. So I know we were talking about concluding the podcast, but I had another question for you as well. Is when you do get these these clients that come to you that are all over the place, you know, what are your strategies in that realm of fixing that and helping them out? Also, you know, again, the goal is to educate and, and have an understanding for them to continue moving on. I think this will really nail the the hammer, nail it home after after the end of the podcast to be able to see like what is it that you really do not just in the food realm but like what do you do with that client when they come to you and they're a continue just a ball of a mess you know when you're trying to fix that i know you talked about sleep and all the other things but really like what do you dive into you know to make that work yeah um it's a long a long answer to that question i'll try to summarize it as Go best for as it. i can but yeah, as much time you know we've got we've got a big web of things that we have to consider for this person and the first is being aware of these different inputs of stress that are coming in their life so whether that's perceived stress it could be financial it could be their job it could be their spouse you know you name it and then we've also got the exercise and we've got the diet inputs to stress um, I'm a big fan of using lab testing whenever I have the opportunity to. I nerd out over that stuff and I find it really motivating if they can see on paper what's happening like in their numbers. People see numbers. Exactly. Yep. And they're like, oh, I am I am causing these turn into a game. Doing, so. yeah. yeah. So it's fun. I mean, it's and now we have something to track. And I love having as many metrics as possible to track because if we want somebody in this for the long game, we've got to keep their head in the right place. And so we've got to have multiple variables that we're tracking. So I usually try to start with some baseline lab testing so we can see what it looks like. We've got something to aim for. And then a, a big beginning part of what I would do with somebody is changing the way that they start their day. I'm a big fan of visualization and having somebody start to paint a picture in their mind of what do they want their life to look like? Like who is that version of themselves that they're trying to find? Because if we've been in this habit of, of hating our body and doing these things in an effort to change our body, we probably don't know what it feels like to not be that way. And the brain likes to do what it knows. It likes to do what it's comfortable with. So if we're not putting new thoughts of that future self there, then we can't expect to ever be that. So starting the day with picturing who they want to be, what that feels like to get out of bed and fuel your body for the sake of fueling it and move your body as a celebration of your abilities, um, I found to be really powerful. I know that's not yeah. at all. No, no, no. That's that's funny you say that because I'm the we're the we're the biggest hippie group you can think of. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I mean, so, I, I, mean I, I do I singing. I do singing bowls. I do meditation. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so keep it going. Like, continue going. Yeah. Like no, people need to hear this. It's it's yeah. free. It's fucking free. You can literally take two to three minutes out of your day and sit there and do a visualization real quick literally yeah. do it and no one Amazing. realizes that so yep. visualization to start their day and then what else from there like what are some of the other steps that you kind of look at in, in the in that realm again we're not yeah, trying to so, put your whole your whole your whole approach on there but you know some of the key points that you <laughs> talked about 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, starting the day off the right foot, setting the tone for the day, you know, striving to make your decisions in the day work toward that future version of yourself, almost acting as if that's already the case. Um, and just having that clear picture I found to be super, super powerful for getting out of this routine. And then, you know, depending on where they're at in that journey of correcting these imbalances, I might still have them tracking their intake. Um, I'm not a big fan of doing that long-term because I don't think it's, I just think it's a big pain in the ass to do it long-term, frankly, and I wouldn't do it long-term, but we need it in the beginning to have that basic understanding of what food is even providing because we all eat all day, every day, but we don't have that education of what that food even is providing for us. So I might have them tracking their intake and taking a look at what their macros look like at the end of the day or focusing in on specific micronutrients. If I saw something in their labs that indicated that, um, having them, you know, move their body in a way that feels good to them, staying active, whatever that might look like in their particular case. And then I want them to end the day on a positive note as well. I think we're really good at remembering what we don't do well and not so good at remembering what we do. So I like to have them write down three things that they're proud of in that day that they did to work toward that future version of themselves. Um, and then have a good, you know, nighttime routine that helps with their sleep quality, because if you're not getting good sleep, none of this is, is going to work well for you. Yeah, I just, love it. It's huge, huge mindful piece there just from the start. Absolutely. It's massive. Mindfulness is huge. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm really excited for this show to come out for, for the listeners. Like I said, everyone's, I, I think we have a lot here that a lot of people that are wondering like, oh, well, the quick fix is here. And again, we talk about it all the time. We talk about patience. We talk about mindfulness. We talk about all these things and just to have someone else come on and be like, yeah, that's, 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 that's what I do as well. Means like we legit, <laughs> not just legit, <laughs> but like it, 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 it shows that, Hey, like this is legitimately like what you need to do. Like you need to do, you need to have patience. You have to understand that you have to work for it, that it's going to take time that you know that some people might be able to progress a little bit faster than others, depending on where you're at. Right. The way I kind of look at that realm is like, depending on where your fitness is at, when you come to me, is it going to depend on how fast we move forward in something? If you came with me, no fitness, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go ahead and build a, a really strong aerobic base and, and learn how to move through efficiency and economy. The same thing we're looking at now with nutrition. It's as, as as we're growing and we talk, keep talking about this, kind of the same thing that I look at in these two in these two realms and how they both cater to each other in the same way. Indeed. Um, so, Kaylee, how can if, if people listen to this podcast, how can they get a hold of you? Instagrams, uh, social yeah. media. So, Instagram, I'm at KayleeRD, and that's my website too, KayleeRD.com. So, pretty pretty easy except my name is spelled weird so that's hard well we'll link it up in the show notes <laughs> yes, too absolutely guys all right well thank you so much for taking the time to come yes. talk with us thank, thank you, you. Oh, thanks for having me it was fun we could talk all day yeah we Wonderful. definitely could if we see if we can do a part two here soon all right guys <laughs> well with that that successfully concludes another episode of the softly perform podcast stay tuned for more